And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it is with confidence based on the finished work of Jesus Christ that we do draw nigh this morning. That we come in boldness before you. Even as we bring our requests, knowing that you are a God who hears, knowing that you are almighty God who is already at work. So now we come in confidence and expectation, knowing that you will work in us through your word. I pray, Lord, that as we work our way through these verses, that you would give me boldness and authority to preach the word of God with clarity and power. That your spirit would take the truth of your word and work in each and every one of our hearts. Mold us for your glory. Chip off those pieces that are not like Christ. That we may leave changed. Bright lights going out into a dark world with the hope of the gospel. A mighty work in our midst this morning, Lord. Through your word, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure as you think through your testimony of salvation and even sanctification, looking back over the Lord, over how the Lord has, has worked in you and grown you over the Lord, over the years, that you can think of, of passages that the Lord used in your life, verses that stood out, that, that when you came across them, they were just mind blowing. But I imagine there are also individuals that the Lord used in your life who came across your path and the Lord's perfect timing who helped to, to guide you along that path, to teach you, to disciple you. I think of one such individual in my life. And while the Lord did, did use my pastor and my youth pastor and, and professors at school and, and other big people like that, one of the most powerful individuals was a peer in high school, a friend. His name was Jose Montero. And I don't know where he is today. I, haven't, I don't think I've talked to him since high school. I tried to look him up on Facebook the other day, and I couldn't even find him on Facebook. But Jose Montero made an eternal impact on my life. You see, it was about my junior year in high school, and I was struggling through chemistry. I am not one of those people who does good in science of any kind, or math for that matter, or really school in general. <laughs> and so Jose and I had gotten a, a college student. One of the benefits of going to Bob Jones Academy was it was connected to Bob Jones University. And so you could get like a, a, someone majoring in chemistry and say, hey, we'll give you 10 bucks. Can you tutor us? Can you help us understand this? So Jose and I were meeting with this tutor. 
And that's really, I had known who Jose was growing up. We had been, he, had been, he was one grade older than me. But uh, we had interacted, we had played soccer together. But I never knew him well. It was through that that I got to know him well. And Jose's impact on me was not necessarily through studying the Bible together. It's not that we had a formal Bible study. Rather, his impact on me was that through him and in him, I could see the gospel transforming him. Jose was a peer who was excited about what God was doing in his life. He was a peer who loved his devotions, and he would let you know what the Lord was teaching him. Not in a self-righteous way, but in a truly excited way. This is what God is doing. Jose did not complain about chapel like other students. Rather, he looked forward to it. He would tell you what the Lord was teaching him through his word. I saw Christ at work in Jose. And it created in me a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. The Lord used his example to motivate me to faithfulness, to ignite in me a passion for the gospel. For me to see that my faith in Christ, it's more than just eternal consequences. Believing in the gospel has impacts today. It affects who I am and what I do today. So in a very real sense, I am the man I am today and the pastor I am today, in large part, thanks to the example of my friend, Jose Montero. I start there because as we turn to Philemon verses 4 to 7 this morning, you'll see that Philemon, like Jose, is a man who impacted many. His faithfulness touched many lives and it drew the faithfulness out of others. So as we turn our attention to Philemon 4 to 7 this morning, we are going to rejoice with Paul as he expresses his thankfulness to Philemon for his faithful ministry, as he assures him of his prayers, and then as he rejoices in his faithfulness. First thing we see is Paul expressing his thankfulness just in general for Philemon and his ministry. I am thankful for you. Note how verse 4 begins, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Paul actually regularly opens his letters with a statement of thanksgiving. There will be a, a short introduction as he introduces himself. And then normally he will turn almost immediately to a time of thanksgiving. I am thankful for you. So here in verse 4, Paul jumps right to that. He expresses his thankfulness to Philemon, and he assures Philemon of his prayers. In fact, it is these two things, his thankfulness for Philemon and his prayers for Philemon, that that form the backbone or the substance of verses 6 to 7. As Paul here expresses why he is thankful for Philemon and what specifically he prays for Philemon. And the first thing we see here, the beginning of verse 4, leading then into verse 5, is the fact that I am thankful for you, Philemon. I thank my God for you. Why? We'll jump to verse 5, because the end of verse 4 then, we'll jump to verse 6, where he'll explain why he's praying for him. But but you go from, I am thankful for you, why? Because I hear, beginning of verse 5. 
hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I am thankful for you, Philemon, because you are a faithful brother in Christ. I want you to note something remarkable here. The beginning of verse 5. I thank my God, why? Because I am hearing. Note that that word hearing is not past tense. I have heard, or I remember back in the past, right? We talked about that last week in verses 1 to 3 as Paul is introducing this letter to Philemon and he's, he's talking about, we serve together. I have served the Lord alongside you, Philemon. You are a beloved friend, a fellow laborer. But here, Paul's not talking about that time. I saw faithfulness in you then, but now I am hearing of your faithfulness. This is an ongoing faithfulness. You are the faithful man now that you were then. That faithfulness has has stayed. It is not past tense, it is present tense. It's not an old report of Philemon's past. It is his present practice. And the remarkable thing is, and we're not told this in Scripture, but just think about it. Who do you think has reported Philemon's faithfulness to Paul? Who is it that is with Paul that would know Philemon intimately, that has been with him recently? Is it not Onesimus, his runaway slave? Philemon's runaway slave likely is the one who's testified to Paul. Onesimus, who was his runaway slave, who is now his brother in Christ. Not bad-mouthing Philemon. This guy is awful. That's why I ran away. But praising him. He is faithful, Paul. He is the same man that you served alongside. He is known for his faith and for his love. There is perhaps no greater testimony to the kind of faithful man that Philemon is than the testimony of Onesimus likely. In saying that, brothers and sisters, I just want to pause for a second. Because I think there's some application even right here in this word hearing. There's application that it matters how you treat people. There's application because others are watching your life. They see your works and your testimony. If this is Onesimus, that seems likely here. His testimony, his time with Philemon was when he was unsaved. He hasn't hasn't been saved until he got with Paul, as we'll see later on in the book of Philemon. Yet even as an unsaved slave serving under Philemon, his testimony likely is that he is a man of faith and love. I have seen the gospel at work in Philemon. It matters how you treat people. It matters how you live when you go from these walls and you are out there in the world, your coworkers, your spouse, your kids, your family, your neighbors. They see how you live. They see the things that you do. And brothers and sisters, what would be their testimony? 
If they wrote a letter to me, pastor, this is an issue I'm having with this member of your church. But first, let me tell you about their love and their faith. What would be the testimony of your life from those who maybe you don't think of? Those who see you in your home and at work, not just here when you're dressed in your best, but who really know you. Philemon is a faithful man, not just with Paul, but even apart from Paul, serving in Colossae. So Paul writes, I, I hear of your love and of your faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Philemon is a man of love and faith. In fact, note the way that Paul emphasizes Philemon's love. A lot of times as Paul writes, he'll put faith first, but here he puts love first. Because that's one of the themes of this short letter. Philemon's love for the saints finds its root and its purpose and his strong faith in God. It is because he has faith in God that he has love for the saints. But it's that love that Paul's really focusing in on here. Paul's thankful for Philemon's faithfulness. His love for all the saints. Note, note his emphasis on his love for all the saints there. Right? It's, it's easy. I'm sure there's a few people in here who would write of my love for them, but there's probably some people in here who say, he can't even remember my name. Philemon has love for all the saints. That is the testimony that Paul has heard. He is well known for his unrestrained love in the church, and it is easy for us to love those we get along with, is it not? We all have those people that we just naturally are more connected with. We like the same things. That's not what Paul says here, though. I'm thankful, Philemon, that I hear of your love towards those saints that you really get along with. Thankful for your love for all the saints. That is what I hear, that you are a man who loves everyone. Your love is unrestrained. You get along with them. And one of the reasons that Paul is really digging deep in this, because this is Philemon's testimony, and Paul is writing to say Onesimus is now one of those saints. He is now one of those brothers. This has been your testimony, Philemon. Let it continue to be your testimony. Because I am sending Philemon back, and he is now one of those saints, a brother in Christ. Brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the power of simple faithfulness. Onesimus, solid. And hypothetically, even if verse 5 is not Onesimus who has testified this to Paul, someone else has seen it in Philemon and reported it to Paul. This is Philemon's testimony. It is his character. This is the man whom he is known to be, a man of faith, a man of love. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for that work in you, Philemon. 
But secondly, note that Paul also promises prayer. I am praying for you. I am thankful because of your faithfulness. I am faithful, thankful because of your faith, which is evident to all, and because of your love, which is known and experienced by all. But know this, that I am also praying for you. And before we jump into verse 6, I think it is worthy to pause here at the end of verse 4. I am thankful for you, and I am praying for you, Paul says at the beginning. I am making mention of you always in my prayers. And I, I want to pause there, because I really want to hit home on the fact that prayer was important to Paul. Paul mentions this fact that he is praying for his readers in in more than one book. This is not the only time. In fact, Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 16, Philippians 1, 3 to 4, Colossians 1, 3 to 4, Romans 1, 8. We could go through all of Paul's letters. We know of at least 13 churches that he's praying for. And individuals. And knowing Paul, it is likely much more. And and I don't take Paul as one of those people that says, hey, I'm praying for you, and then never thinks of it again. If Paul says he's praying for you, you can be sure that Paul is praying for you. Prayer does matter. I think we should take serious prayer. I think we, like Paul, should be known by that testimony. If, if he says he's praying for you, if she says she's praying for you, she is praying for you. She has a long list. I make mention of you always in my prayers, Paul says. What is it that he prays for specifically? We see that here in verse 6. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in or unto Christ Jesus. Every commentary you look at readily readily admits that this is by far the most difficult verse in Philemon to understand. Almost every phrase or word has several possible ways that you could take it. But here Paul has expressed his thanks. Now he turns his attention to the content of his prayer. I am praying for the sharing of your faith that it may become effective through the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you unto Christ Jesus. The sharing of your faith. That's the first question in this verse. How do we understand sharing there? At first glance, we would typically think of the sharing of faith in terms of evangelism, would we not? But that doesn't really make sense in the context, and that is not the only way that that word can be understood. In fact, I would submit to you this morning that the focus of the word sharing here in verse 6 is not necessarily on evangelism, but on fellowship. The exercising of faith in the community of the church. Living out your faith in community, that is one of the focuses of the book of Philemon. We looked even last week at the remarkable fact that that this is a personal letter, and yet it's addressed not just to Philemon and his family, but also to the church. There is a unique family dynamic to the church that we see in in the early church. 
Your faith is meant to be lived out in the community of the church. Together. And Paul here is really leaning into this church community idea. You are doing this together. You are sharing in Christ. You are growing together. Brothers and sisters, it is here. In this context, in the context of the church, that our faith is really lived out together. You see that even in a passage like Ephesians 4, verses 12 to 16, where Paul is writing to the, to, to the church in Ephesus, and, and he says, the Lord has given you pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, that as you grow together, the whole idea of that passage is growing together, mutually, with and off of one another. Yes, we start at different places, and we grow at different speeds, but we grow together. We exercise our faith together. That is one of the things that we will testify to even this evening as we come to the Lord's table. That yes, we look back to Christ, we look back to his finished work, and we rejoice in that. That is where our hope lies. And we look forward knowing that he is coming again, but we do that together. Why? Because we are one family in Christ with one hope and one Lord and one baptism. Your faith is meant to be lived out in community. And that is Paul's prayer, that as you share this faith together, as you grow together, that it may become effective. What does that mean? Really what it means is that you would see fruit. This would be the difference between confessing truth and living out truth. It's one thing to know that I should weep with those who weep. It's another thing to actually show up and to do it. It's one thing to know that I should be serving in the church. It's another thing to actually show up early and to do the hard work of serving in the church. It's one thing to know that I should be giving. It's another thing to actually give. Paul doesn't just want us to go through the empty practice or the routines of church. Brothers and sisters, he prays that it would be real, that it would be effective, that there would be truth behind our practice and love in our practice. That we would actually be the body of Christ. Not just pretending not just in love with the idea of being church. Paul prays, Philemon, I pray for you and that church in Colossae, that you would be the church, that there would be fruit from your faith together, that it would be effective, that you would take the truth of the gospel and apply it to your life. Apply it to your service. It 
This effectiveness is seen in the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in or unto Christ Jesus. What others see or experience and testify to. When the sharing of faith is effective in a church, it will be evident. Not only in the church, but to the world around. They will see that is a church that is not just going through the motions. That is a church that God is at work in. That Christ is real in. Even going back to that statement on our bulletin at our dedication, when this building was dedicated, that Christ might be real at Altoona Regular Baptist Church. Every good thing which is yours in Christ Jesus All that is yours in Christ. That all that is yours in Christ would be lived out and experienced and known and testified to in your midst. All that molds you into the image of Christ. This this idea here of in Christ Jesus or unto, depending on which version you're looking at, could take that differently. Really, the idea could be both, in Christ Jesus and unto Christ Jesus, because all that we have is by Christ, and all that we have in Christ is molding us into the image of Christ. That as you share in the faith, as you become effective, as that sharing is real and passionate, and seen by all and testified to that Christ would be formed in you through knowing and applying the gospel truths to your life together as a church. From Christ in his power to Christ, being a fully formed, mature Christian. That's the goal. That's what Paul is praying for. I pray, Philemon, that God would work in his church through your ministry, that as you share your faith, and as that becomes effective and it spreads and it is testified to, that Christ would be formed in you. To sum it up, this is Paul's prayer. By Liam, when I pray that as you continue to faithfully live out the gospel in the church, that it would bear the fruit of sanctification in you and through you to others. Have you ever thought about that, brothers and sisters? That as you, convinced of the gospel, convinced by the gospel, that you should be serving, that as you serve, that through your service, the Lord is using that in the church as we live out our faith together to mold someone else, to be an example to someone else, to sanctify someone else through your example, alongside of the preaching of the word of God. The Spirit, our guarantee who's at work in us. The reality is that the church needs your love. We need to see it. The church needs your faithfulness. The church needs your gifts and your service. We need to see it because we are growing together 
And as you serve faithfully, Christ is formed in you and in others. That's Paul's prayer. That's what I'm praying for. That's really my goal in writing this letter, Philemon. I want to see Christ formed in you, and I want to see Christ formed in those others in your community. I want to see your church stand out as a testimony to the world of what the gospel can do. That's my prayer. Finally, verse 7, we see that Paul is rejoicing in Philemon. Really, what you could do is verses 4 and 5. I'm thankful that I hear this, Philemon. This is what I pray, Philemon, verse 6. And verse 7, the reality, Philemon, is that what I hear and what I am praying, I already see and have seen in you. This is who you are. For we have great joy, Paul and Timothy, We have great joy and consolation in your love. The reality is, Philemon, this is what I'm praying, but my prayer has already been realized. I'm just praying that you will continue to do this. Paul is confident of it. Because not only has he heard of it already, verse 5, but he has seen it already. Verse 1, my fellow laborer. I have great joy, consolation, or comfort in your love, Philemon. One commentator notes this. It is love that gives Paul the greatest encouragement because it is the surest sign that Christ is being formed in his people. Love is the surest sign that Christ is being formed in his people. All you have to do is go back to John as Jesus testifies to his disciples. How will people know that you are mine? By your love. I have joy and consolation in your love. Why? Because it testifies to me that this is true in you. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you brother. Hearts of the saints. Hearts that are so often heavy and burdened. And yet they have been refreshed through Philemon's ministry. This word refresh is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew eleven twenty eight. As he writes, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you Rest. Refreshment. This refreshment is the fruit of the gospel. Philemon's ministry is such that those whom he ministers alongside are not merely aware of the truth. They don't just know the truth. They're refreshed by the truth. This is not a superficial answer or a temporary encouragement. This refreshing 
Of Philemon, this, this, this is ministry that is effective and long-lasting. The people that Philemon loves leave changed and more like Christ through their interactions with Philemon. Brothers and sisters, is that true of you? Are you refreshing? Do those who interact with you leave refreshed? I love the last word here. Brother. It's not just a filler word. I have to refer to you, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just an empty filler phrase. It testifies to our union in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I try to be very careful not to use that phrase at something like the sportsman's dinner or, or when I know that there are unbelievers in our midst because I don't know if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but with my church, I know you are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism. Paul here is writing to a brother in Christ. And there is such tenderness and love in that word. Brother, I am rejoicing in what Christ is doing in and through you. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, be like Philemon. Resolve to be refreshing to all who come in contact with you. Be refreshing. Resolve to love without limit like Christ loves you. Build up. Don't tear down. That you maybe see Christ formed in others through your influence, through your testimony. The reality is that we are a family united in Christ and we are growing together. That is really the whole point of Philemon. In fact, you'll, you'll note at the, going back to the very, or actually, I think it's the next slide. No, it's not. Going back to the very beginning, my title slide, Philemon, in Christ together. That is the testimony of Philemon that we see right here from the beginning. And brothers and sisters, that is so encouraging that we are not alone in this. But we are in Christ together. So be fervent in prayer like Paul. Be active in love like Philemon. Be bold in testimony that Christ may be formed in our midst. That those around you may leave refreshed. That Christ be magnified through us. So may the Lord use the faithful example of Philemon to shake us from our apathy and to ignite in us a passion for the gospel and a love for one another that this world can't understand because we are in Christ together.